Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. everyone. This is Marissa Carpico, the film editor at ThePopBreak.com. I am here with our TV editor, Matt Taylor. Say hello, Matt. Hi, everyone. And uh, a guest, Josh Charnecki, uh, one of the writers for the site. Say hello, Josh. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. All right. And we are here on the, um, the, the Winner Still Is pod, our other Oscar podcast. Um, there are many Oscar podcasts now. Um <laughs> And we're going to talk about 1944. Um, hopefully some of you have watched some of the films. Um, maybe we're batting a better uh, average than 1927. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so the ceremony took place on March 15th, 1945, at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Um, the, it was in the middle of a labor strike, so it wasn't exactly the fanciest show um, for the laborers for the, the industry. Um, it was broadcast on ABC, not the television um like <laughs> network, but the radio, um, uh, ABC, uh, back when it was just a radio thing. Um, the good old days. <laughs> uh, it's still on NBC or ABC. Now it's on, on television though. Um, and this was the last year that they gave out uh, plaster statuettes. They, because of, you know, wartime austerity, they gave out, um, plaster statuettes during, um, like 43 to 45. Um, and, um, one of the winners, the best director winner, um, broke his, broke the head off of his and had to get a new one, um, (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty insane. Um, Bob Hope and the director of Since You Went Away, John, John Cromwell hosted, um, Since You Went Away did not win, um, best picture. The best picture winner was Going My Way, um, starring Bing Crosby. Uh, Matt, you want to talk about, uh, what, what that's about? Do I ever? Um, Mm -hmm. Going My Way is a very interesting <laughs> a very interesting movie that's like a time capsule of what I imagine the 1940s must have been like. At the very least, like it's what my grandparents have described it as. Um, <laughs> Bing Crosby plays Father, Char- um, Father Chuck O'Malley, who is a, uh, a hip young priest who comes to a small neighborhood in, I don't know if they ever specifically say New York, but... Like people act like it's New York, and it is New York, but they—I don't—I think it's—I assume it's Manhattan, but one never knows. Who knows? I don't think they know. The accents <laughs> are all over the place, but um, the um, he's the hip young priest who comes to the to the neighborhood to um, like take over the church from Fa- um, Father Fitzgibbon, played by Barry Fitzgerald, who is this very this stern elderly priest. Um, well like, respected by the citizens of the town but not exactly liked or popular and these two priests bud heads um over the course of various episodes in the lives of the town citizens there's a bunch of different and um, little story subplots that go on there's a young woman who's run away from home because she wants to become a lounge singer there's um uh, a gang of like wild youths who um, need to be reformed <laughs> and a lot of other weird little subplots like that. Um, and it, that's basically it. <laughs> and um, the two priests obviously learn to respect each other over the course of two hours or so. And there's a lot of singing. 
Yes, right, because Bing was a um, not really an act, known as an actor at the time. He was a, a big uh, crooner, basically. And he has a good um, voice. Yeah, you know. he's got a great voice. You know, it's part one of the reasons. Uh, what's it? White Christmas is one of the best selling. Well, is the best selling song of all time. Um, <laughs> all right, so Josh, uh, are you? We always start with um, talking about uh, our first experience with the film. Uh, what was your first experience with Going My Way? Um. Before we we record this podcast, I had not heard of Going My Way, oh, wow. but um, I have um, heard of the sequel to it, The Bell of St. Mary's. Um, so The Bell of St. Mary's also follows uh, the career of Father Chuck, and that was a movie that um, my family and I watched for Christmas, like almost every year when I was growing up. So I was familiar with the character. But until now, I had no idea there was a original film before that. So um, it was interesting, and I definitely uh, have some thoughts on which is the better film. <laughs> you can say them. I, I'm actually curious which one. I mean, I guess I know. Uh, you know, I can guess. Do you know? Yeah. What, what I, going my way, I'll, I'll get into my thoughts there. But it's not as good as Val Saints Mary. Val Saints okay. Mary is so much better. <laughs> Yeah, the, that one stars uh, Ingrid Bergman, so I can I can imagine it would be better. I don't care what happens; it's probably better. That's a good rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's a nun in it, right? She is, which is uh, a fun. It's they. I, I think that's the the thing that makes that movie good is just they had such a, a weird, fun dynamic of like this priest and this nun like butting heads, um, which I, I, it's essentially the same plot as this movie, to be honest. But just. Because of her character, it works better. Okay. Um, all right, Matt, how, what was your experience with going my Well, obviously, you've watched it. It's the Best Picture winner from an Oscar year. But uh, did you didn't like it anymore the second time, I suppose. Um, no, so it's actually kind of funny. This is one of my like my least favorite Best Picture winners from when I first watched these films back in 2014. But um, it, like, improved mildly. <laughs> like, very mildly since my last watch. Like... I, I, we, we can talk about this later, I'm sure. This movie feels like it's in such a vacuum of, like, a world that I cannot connect with whatsoever, and, like, I don't even know if this world ever truly existed, or if it's just some sort of dream that a lot of people had back in the 40s, but it just, like, it is a very strange movie to, to watch, but I found it more charming entertaining this time but it's still with due to the episodic nature of it all just like um does not totally work for me like some chapters really really work and then other ones i just find so so dull and so boring and silly um it also doesn't help that as we've discussed in a couple of different episodes like such like an aggressively catholic movie gives me like catholic school flashbacks and just like it just i'm like i don't know this it feels like such an like an artifact this movie but it improved very very slightly in that i didn't fully hate it <laughs> this time around i had the opposite experience i watched it um years ago it was like on a sunday i was staying staying in a hotel um i was like relaxing drinking tea there was i had tcm on and, and this happened to come on and i was sort of half paying attention to it and i quite liked it the first time i saw it um, but then when I had to actually sit down and watch it, I was like, fuck, this is, um, I hate this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, and it was, I just, oh, I hated it. Um, 
because of the Catholic thing, you know, I've, I've already am on the record of being like not into any sort of big God subplot um, or real plot. I mean, it's the plot basically. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't connect with this at, at, at it this time at all. Cause it just felt like there's just not enough singing. And also it, um, I don't know. It, it is too episodic for me. Although it, I, 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 it certainly feels like an artifact of a different time. Like you said, Matt, like, this was a huge hit. It cost like four and a half million dollars to make and it made a shitload of money so much so that they, they greenlit that sequel um, before the Oscars. So like, you know, uh, Ingrid Bergman wins an Oscar for Gaslight and then, then she, in her um, in her speech, mention, mentions like, well, I'm going to start someone with Bing tomorrow on that sequel. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so quick. That's and it won seven of the ten categories it was nominated for and it was like, that and um, Wilson were the two things that were nominated for 10 things that year. And it, it, seven of 10 is not shabby at all. Um, so like, but I just, especially in the context of the other films, I cannot believe it. Like it just has aged of, of them. It's one of the ones that aged the worst, I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested. I'm so surprised that you've seen um, Bells of St. Mary so many times, Josh. That's so fascinating to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know why, but if, there's only one scene in that movie that takes place during Christmas, but for some reason, that's like one of my family's go-to Christmas movies, so yeah. I can't explain it, but it's there. Another film from this year has that same problem, or same thing, Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, and like one of my favorite ones of, that I watch all the time is In the Good Old Summertime. It has like one scene in Christmas. Um, <laughs> oh. But is the, is the writing of that as episodic as this, Josh? Yes, it is. It is also very episodic, mm. but I felt more invested in that just because the the thing about the that episodic writing in Bells of Saint Mary's is that both the um, the priest and the nun have roles to play. Whereas I feel like in this, Father Fitzgibbon is he's just such a reactionary character. He doesn't actually participate in anything. Just kind of like, oh, that Father Chuck's doing this again. I better start you know, shaking my fist out at him or whatever. Like it's, he doesn't really do much except react. Whereas, um, there's a bit of that in the Bell of St. Mary's, but, um, Ingrid Bergman's character is also very much participating as well. So the dynamic is just more active. Right. Um, Hey Matt, do you have like a favorite of the little parts, if you will? Um, I, I don't know if a favorite's a strong word, but, um, <laughs> Which one do you tolerate the most? <laughs> I do kind of like, <laughs> I do kind of like the whole arc with, um, I'm trying to find her name in the cast on IMDb, but the teen runaway character who wants to be a lounge singer really badly. And then her name she, is Jean, and, Jean Heather. She's also in, um, she's the slutty daughter in, uh, um, <laughs> Double indemnity. <laughs> Double indemnity. <laughs> oh no way! It yeah. was um like there was something like she she gave a good performance. I will say like one of the better performances I think in the movie. But um there was something just like very charming about that. I like the scene of them singing together. Um I like the weird romance she ends up being thrust into um by the end of it. And it was just like out of all these silly um different subplots in it. That one kind of worked for me. I also enjoyed um, the whole arc with um, the the woman who 
uh, um, Bing Crosby's character was in, like somewhat involved with, as much as you could be involved with somebody in the Chase 1940s uh, movie before he became a priest and she's like an opera singer now and we get a full five minutes of her doing opera. Um, like that was, is again, like very, very charming in a weird way. But then you have a lot of other subplots that I just found so incredibly uninteresting. Yeah. I love the young woman one as well. Um, she is like, she's, it's a crazy performance. I mean, she's such a like obvious that like everyone thinks she's a prostitute at first. And she's like, no, I just am like a, my parents are awful. <laughs> like, chill out. Um, and I do kind of love her like romance as well. Although it is troubling to like one of the final beats is that like, you know, her, the guy's going to go off to war and it's like, Oh, it's, it's still 44. There's like a year left. That's not like, mm-hmm. this isn't great. You know? Um, and it's, I mean, every one of these films is influenced by the war, but like, and this is probably the softest influence, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, um, but yeah, the thing about the, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, the one other thing I just found very funny in it, and this is like, like this movie is chased, I think, even by like the 1940s standards, because like you look at Mm -hmm. Double Indemnity and a few of the other films nominated and they have like more edge to them. Like the way this movie finds every possible way to, infer that they think she's a sex worker but never actually say it and it's just like <laughs> they really go above and beyond to never clarify that <laughs> yeah. the code is in full effect yeah. um <laughs> did you have another one that you um you liked a lot josh uh, in terms of the uh, the little subplots um i mean i did like the one with um the young woman although the thing that was so bizarre for me was the scene where um the the person who's in charge of the mortgage, um, what's his name? Uh, Ted Senior comes in and finds that his son has gotten married. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is moving so fast. Like, yeah, it was in the papers. Like, that's not an excuse. Like, you can't just do that to your father. <laughs> yeah, I know they're straight. They're like they don't have a good relationship, but like. It's the 40s. You'd tell your parents, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even pick up on that much estrangement because before that. Uh, Ted Jr. is all like, yeah, like I really following my dad's footsteps. Like he's the person I want to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, by the way, dad, I'm one getting married or had got married and yep. two, I'm going to war. Yes. And then he just leaves right away. So like if his dad had not come up to say like, just <laughs> check on him, he would have just left through the war as a married man without his dad even knowing. Right. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. And it's a small town too. Like, how do they not run into each other? Like, <laughs> well, everyone knows allegedly, everybody. whatever part of New York it, they're they're supposed to be in seems pretty tight knit because it's like the same twenty people all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, I don't know. Oh, go ahead. Well, I would say in terms of the other like um, little mini episodes that worked, the the one with like the boys' choir had definitely weird moments. Like when mm-hmm. the the leader of them is slapping his friend across the face for a good. <laughs> It feels like five minutes, um, which was bizarre. Um, but then I, it's I find it so funny that they keep leading up to this big song of the title song, and then it ends up being the worst song in the entire movie. <laughs> Not good. It's rough. That that subplot was actually rough. stand out to me. Honestly, like they're mostly bad. I don't I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> that's like that's that's it. I just don't understand. Like this this one wins. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll trust me. I'll talk about it later. But like the one of the songs from this "Swinging on a Star" um, won best song, and like 
of the songs that came out that year. That is truly insane to me. <laughs> it's just, That whole arc with the boys' choir is, like, the part that I think is just aged the worst in. Yes. Like, oh, my God. I mean, aside from just the fact that, like, the singing is rough and um, it's, like, they're, like, the worst criminals ever. Like, they do, like, nothing even interesting. They just, like, steal chickens or whatever or turkeys. Like, it's just, like, it's the it just it's so funny like it we we don't have a comparable subplot anymore like that of just um like a group of boys who are reformed by a priest who brings them to baseball games and then teaches them to sing in a basement like it's like we that does not exist anymore <laughs> yeah those kids those little ragamuffins really dive right into being in a choir and i that i was like that's the hardest thing to believe in this whole thing is that those kids are just like yes choir absolutely bring me to that can't wait to spend my time doing that instead of like, I don't know, beating the shit out of each other. Like, they're little boys. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, I, it's it's definitely a weird structure. Like, I think that's part of the reason it was so boring to me the second time and why it actually works so well is like something I was not paying attention to is that like you can tune in and tune out and none of it, you know, you can care about what you want and not that there's a ton to care about. I mean, it's it's honestly insane to me that it won like both the writing and the story categories for the Oscar, like for the Oscars, like back then it was two separate things. It's like, right. Someone came up with story and someone came up with the writing, but like, yeah, I just can't believe that it like, there's nothing, there's so little to the plot, especially in comparison to the other films that like, I just, I'm not, it really speaks to the time period. Like, you know, we've talked about on our regular pod, Matt about like, there are some of these, some of these films feel so specific to a time and like, like they're, they're big for the year that they're made, but there are so many things you'll just never watch again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a couple of the films this year are that. Um, I think we're ready to move on to the other films. You guys want to say anything else about going my way before we uh, abandon it? It's interesting that we're like going to be the last people to ever talk about this movie <laughs> unless they, <laughs> someone else does an Oscar retrospective podcast. <laughs> someone always will. They're yes. thick on the ground. Uh, Josh, <laughs> anything else? Uh, the only other thing I have is really just that I thought Bing Crosby was fine. Like he's he's a fantastic singer, but in terms of acting, like I don't think I would have given him the. I know we'll get into that later, but I don't think I would have given him the best acting award. Yeah, well, we are definitely going to get give into that later, and and I might agree. Who knows? Um, so yeah, let's start on the other uh, the other movies. Um, I'm going to go alphabetical uh, because I'm not as inventive as Matt, who does things from the least exciting to the most exciting. Um, <laughs> let's do double indemnity. Um, I I'm going to start. Um, I saw it years ago, and I never I never connected with it. And part of that is because I saw Body Heat first. Um, something I, I've probably referred to that movie on this podcast before. I know me. I have certain things I repeat. Um, but Body Heat very closely follows this sort of feel of that movie. It's a, But it's, you know, a much later neo-noir. Um, and I think the thing that hinders this one for me is that, like, uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character is a bad girl. But she can never be really that bad because the gender, like what she's allowed in her gender is just so limited at this point in history. Like she can just be bad. She can never have like really much else to do. Um, That said, Barbara Stanwyck is very good in it. It was the first time she'd played something like this. She was usually 
you know, a hero character. Um, and she was nervous about playing it, but as Phyllis, it's just, it's such a weird, um, I don't know. It just does it like it never goes anywhere for me. Like she's just sort of a femme fatale the whole time. And then she has nothing to do. And it's really mostly Fred McMurray and, and, Edward G. Robinson sort of circling each other in this detective thing. And then, you know, Jean Heather's the, the slutty daughter. It's like, what's, what's really at work here? I don't, I don't actually know, you know? Um, and I was hoping I'd like it more the second time, but I still just, I couldn't connect with it. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on double identity? Matt? Um, I actually have a similar experience without, without body heat being involved. Um, I watched it, I think in high school, um, for the first time, and um, I was like, like unmoved by it. Like it wasn't bad. I didn't dislike it, but it just like as a high school student who was like so deeply invested in like noir movies for like um, a while, and like just like obsessed with some of them. Like this one, just I was surprised by how little it really moved the dial for me. So, and I hadn't watched it since then, but um, then I watched it relatively recently um, to get ready for this podcast like a week or two ago. And the first two acts worked a lot better um, this time. Like, I love the setup. Um, the two of them, I think, are and Edward G. Robinson are really, really great um, in their parts. And I love as like we see the pieces of the story coming together and basically everything up until the murder. And then I just find everything in the last act so, like uninteresting and it like, i don't know how it like doesn't stick the landing for me but it's just like it doesn't work and i'm assuming we'll talk about this some more later but um i think like again in a weird way similar to going going my way um like this movie just feels like from a different era in the sense that like modern audiences would never accept an ending like this with the, like it just like it's so disappointing to get to the ending and a not have her win and mm-hmm. be like, I want to read into it and assume that like in her fight. Spoiler alert for this movie that's like very old people. If you, <laughs> I'm assuming you've all watched it if you're listening to this podcast. Um, like in her final mo- moments before she dies, like her last lines are about her like actually being in love with the man who's about to kill her and everything, and like showing remorse. And in a modern movie, I think it would be very clear that she was lying in those scenes because there's no indication whatsoever that she um, genuinely thinks that. But the this movie doesn't quite convey that. This movie, seem, it makes it seem like this is actually how she feels. And I was just kind of like, what a bummer of an ending. Like, it's like, um, yeah. I watched this with my brother, and um, who watched the Game of Thrones finale, and I did not. And he was like, it reminds me of Game of Thrones, where the girl who should have won died. And um, <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that sums up my feelings. The girl who should have won died. Well, you know what? Uh, given the other things that have been said about the show, I, I, I like your brother. Um, yeah, that's the thing about it. And I think you, you should absolutely watch Body Heat. But, like, um, that's the thing about it that it's just, even then, I think a couple years later, you know, if you watch noirs from, like, if you watch, like, a, a I don't know, like a Lauren Bacall kind of thing, or even if you watch something like um, the, the Maltese Falcon, it's a very different gender dynamic. And, like, he's just given so little to do because it really is about like the two guys. And oh, I guess we, I never um, summarized what double indemnity is about, but it's about insurance, insurance salesman who, played by Fred McMurray, who um, 
uh, tries to go sell some stuff to uh, a couple, and then only the sexy wife is home, and it maybe the daughter at the time. Um, and then they start flirting, if you could call it that. She's pretty hostile <laughs> most of the time, which is what makes the turn at the end so surprising. Um, and then they decide to kill the husband, and then they kill the husband, and then uh, one of the other insurance salesmen who is exploring the life, you know, the life policy they took out on the husband um it's like mm, something's off and then you know he figures it out um what did you think of double indemnity and what's your experience or you know past experience if you have any with it josh uh, i guess i'm the outlier because i love this movie oh wow um so i first watched it i think in college so um I am by no means a noir expert, um, but my brother took a, a class in college all about noir films, and he recommended this one to me. So I I went to check it out, and then later I took a film course, and it came up again. And um, and I, I, I watched it during my lunch break today so that I could remember it better. Um, and I, um, I, I think for me the thing about it, and, and I haven't seen Body Heat, and like I said, I'm not a, a big noir um, buff, so I can't speak for how it represents the genre but um i just love i think more than anything the dialogue it's just so snappy um mm -hmm. which i think is i mean is it realistic no like by no means but there's just something about it that just it has a fast pace um like it has a fast pace to it in every dialogue um and then I don't know. I definitely agree, though, with the criticism. I do think that the film doesn't really know what to do with uh, Barbara Steinwick's character, um, just because, yeah, like it, it it plays very loose with like how much it wants to make her the femme fatale and mm -hmm. add to an actual villain, um, and then especially in the end when they throw in the like this this side plot with. Nino Zacchetti, the, uh, the boyfriend of the, the, the daughter. It's like, then, then it, it starts unraveling about like what she actually wants and what she's actually doing. Um, yeah. So I definitely agree with what you said, Matt, in terms of like, the third act, it kind of unravels a bit. But um, I think the dynamics are just so much fun. And I don't know, I really love um, Edward G. Robinson's character. Just yeah. I'd have no idea what he's talking about. A little man in his chest but every time he talks about it i like have a stupid grin on my face because it's so funny yeah yeah he is it's, he's really wonderful i mean you're absolutely right there's some great dialogue in this that first meeting between mcmurray and and stanwich she's such a bitch but it's like such a great intro because you're like yes like this is gonna be so fun and i think like i don't like the movie that much but i i know i should because it has great elements to it and it's very well shot and like the dot you're right the dialogue is great and fucking edward g robinson is so good as like basically an upstanding standing citizen who's like good at his job when it's like his history is playing gangsters literal gangsters mm, yeah. so like for him to be so interesting in this and like he's the person you oddly root for which is maybe part of why it doesn't quite work for me because like realistically you should be always rooting for the bad guys in these but i don't know i mean that you're there is so much to recommend it like I'm I'm not I'm cold on the movie, but it's it's not at all it, by any means bad. I would watch it again. I'll probably watch it again in a couple of years just to see if I change my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. To echo you both, um, their opening flirting scene is like on another level of like just great dialogue. And I mean, like 
I don't know if they have chemistry, to be honest, but they have, like, great sexual chemistry. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> I don't think they have any genuine affection for each other, but, like, they probably want to have sex very badly. <laughs> and they, you, they would it. absolutely hate fuck each other, for sure. They would definitely not look each other in the face, but... <laughs> 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 but it would, they would have sex. <laughs> Yep. That's, I that's, buy it. On that note, um, I'm going to move on to Gaslight. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, real real whiplash. Um, Gaslight is uh, exactly what you guys think it is. If you have, you've, you've heard the term a lot lately in the last couple of years. Um, this is technically where it comes from. Not this movie, but the uh, play it's based off of. Um, it's about a woman who um, whose who's aunt died years ago, and she comes back to the house and... Um, uh, to like collect the things that were there and she meets a man who happened to know her aunt like not really though just had heard of her or whatever anyway they they flirt they end up getting married and then um some weird ha- things start happening in the house the, the gaslight keeps um turning down in the house um and there's banging noises and all this weird shit and the husband keeps going like well you're you're crazy like you need rest uh, don't it's a very clearly an abusive relationship um I'm sure there were audiences who didn't know what was going on when it first came out, but um, now it's impossible not to know what's going on. Um, and it's, it's it's suddenly relevant again uh, years later. And I had actually heard of that term long before it became very popular because my mom was a big fan of old movies and, and she was like, oh yeah, gas. She had said it once and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what the what is that? And she explained it to me. So when it started being used all the time, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I know what that means. Amateurs. Um, but Josh, what was your experience with Gaslight? Um, other than hearing the, the term, I had no idea it was based on a play or a movie. So um, I, I wish I could have gone in not knowing that because yeah. I, I think it's such a fun thriller um, in that n- knowing the knowing the twist ahead of time does, I think, take away a bit from it. But I still think it was just such a such a dark, twisted movie um, that just made so well. And I think Ingrid Berman is amazing in this movie. Yeah, it's a big star making role. Well, I mean, she had already been acting, but it's such a big big moment for her. Um, and it is a shame, like the original title is angel street too. So it's a shame that like, you know what you're getting now that it's called what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this was the first time you watched it too, right? Yes. It was. Yeah. Until, um, the other day I never watched it, but, um, yeah, there's, it's so, I don't know. It's such a, it's definitely, you know, such a, a good look at this abusive relationship. Um, and I think there are times when it, it by the end, it definitely makes um, the husband into this kind of dastardly villain, which um, I think is appropriate just in the sense that it gives um, Ingrid Bergman her strongest scene at the end. So I, I don't think I would have changed that just because I love her, her final comeuppance with him. Yeah, when she's screaming at him, it's really good. I mean, you know, you, you want that. It's it's cathartic, especially now, like. It's, I'm sure it was more of a thriller. It's more of a thriller probably when you don't know what's going on. But for when I was watching it, I was like, this is a horror movie. It is so upsetting. <laughs> like the scene in, um, in the concert where, you know, something she's going to freak out um, because he's manipulating her is so upsetting because you're just like, Oh my God, she's going to embarrass herself. She's, she tried so hard to get out of the house like I was 
talking to myself in my 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 own apartment just because I was like, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with like how upset she's going to be. And then she plays the shit out of that moment. I was like, God damn. Yeah. Um, Matt, what do you think about Gaslight? Ooh, I loved it. Like it is, I, I had never seen it before. I knew what it was. And I mean, like we've all said, it's like, it, it must be just a very different experience watching it now than it was at the time because like you 100% know what it's going to be about. But interestingly enough, like I, f- I had a lot of fun figuring out like the other details of the plot. Like you obviously know who the bad guy is going to be and you can kind of understand what their plan is. But like figuring out the details of it created like a thriller element for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And then also it's just so well acted. The sets and the costumes are just gorgeous. It has like some funny moments in it, which like um, alleviate the tension. And I just like fully loved it. It was added to um, the Criterion channel which is how I watched it, and it, like, single-handedly justified the very steep cost of that streaming service. <laughs> so I was just, like, I, I loved it. Like, it, it genuinely, it impressed me so much, and I want to watch it again. Yeah, I, I watched it for the first, I mean, I'd, my mom had explained it to me, and, you know, we always used it as a joke. Um, my, my mom is weird. Um, <laughs> people have been listening to this podcast and haven't figured that out by now. Um, but yeah, like I was surprised knowing how much I'd known about it and like having all these expectations for it, how good it still was. It's just perfectly, everyone is so good in it. All of the actors are good. Um, Bergman is great. Lans, Angela Lansbury, this is like, her, yeah. she had two big movies this year, which were her breakout roles. And she, she was a, um, she was a basic, she was a war refugee from um, World War II. Um which is weird to think. Like nobody, <laughs> you just don't think of, of Angela Lansbury as being a refugee. Um, but yeah, she started acting, and this is like her first thing, basically. So she was, she's so good in it, and like I, I the whole, she's so good in it that the whole, like flirting with the husband the whole time, I was like, she's got to be in on the grift. You know what I mean? Like she's so good. She, she's mm-hmm. so fucking good. Like from the jump, she's already a great incredible actress like i just every time she was on screen i was just like so excited because i was like oh what how does she figure in what's happening and i was like oh she's just she's just fooling us what a great what a great uh what a great thing to do like so unexpected um and i also um i will we will talk about him again later but um joseph cotton as the like man who is knows that something is up and is trying to like get to Ingrid Bergman the whole time to warn her is mm, perfection for me. Like, I love that he's the white knight in this. It's like so wonderful for me personally. Um, Thoughts on Lansbury and Cotton, uh, Josh? I I think you're, you're totally right. I think that I, I, I had to look at it afterwards. Like that voice sounds so familiar. Like that is that Mrs. Potts playing the maid. Uh, (laughs) So that, that blew my mind. Um, the other thing I'd say is going going back to the the husband character. Um, I don't know if it's because uh, the actor Charles Boyer, for me, he just looked really like uh, Javier Bardem, but I mm. kept wanting him to be the bad guy in a James Bond movie. <laughs> See, I thought he looked like Beck Bennett from Beck Bennett from SNL, and I oh. just kept thinking like, oh, the Beck Bennett should do him in a skit and that like would be made exclusively for me <laughs> because I would be <laughs> the only one that finds it funny. <laughs> I I had none of I, I did not associate him with anyone I I kind of in my my idea of him I lean more towards what Josh is saying all I kept thinking of him is he's in um he was in a an affair to remember uh he's the guy in that right from our very first pod 
Is he? Wow, I did not even make that connection. Well, you did forget that movie the second you saw it. That is true. I was about to say I haven't seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure. No, you literally did. That is, yeah, that's a real, real, uh, made a real impression on us, that one. Um, Can send some love I, also? I can't, I can't believe you forgot it again. No, it's like that movie like meant nothing to me in the long yeah, run. I know so funny though um, um can we also oh, send some love to may witty who um plays the nosy neighbor and is fucking amazing and that scene on the train is just like another level of just like nosiness like her reading the book and be and just like telling ingrid bergman about this book she's reading even though she's so uninterested is just like a great moment i love i love that whole sequence by the way, I meant Love Affair. I kept I called it an affair to remember. That's the remake. Um, <laughs> yeah, but again, real memorable for both of us. Um, you were going to say something, Josh? Oh, I, I just um, checked on Wikipedia. So Charles Boyer was in a in a James Bond movie. Actually, he was in the the unofficial Casino Royale, but he wasn't the bad guy. Oh, okay. That's yeah. I saw that one. I didn't write about it for the site when I did the big James Bond thing, so I didn't. I didn't remember that clearly, but yeah, you're right. He's, I think he might be a villain in that, or maybe he's just the Lothario, because that was his his sort of persona was a the sexy type, which I doesn't. That's not for me, but sure, I'm sure there are women it works for. <laughs> he was no jo- Joseph Cotton. <laughs> no, I mean, I got to thirst over jo- Joseph Cotton twice this year. It's, this is my favorite year so far. Um, <laughs> uh, anything you guys want to talk about uh, with Gaslight, or sh- can I move on to the other uh, Joseph Cotton film? Let's move on. Go for it. All right. Uh, the other film is Since You Went Away. Um, it is a sprawling um, epic about uh, what it was like, like on the home front in World War II. Um, it star- stars Claudette Colbert as the matriarch of a family um, who the first thing we see her do is like say goodbye. Well, we never, we never see the husband on screen. Well, we might see his back or something, but we never like, or and like distant pictures or whatever, but he's never like an actor on screen, um, realistically, that we like talk to. Um, but she plays Anne Hilton. Um, she sends her husband away. Her kids are very sad. They're played by Jennifer Jones. And it took me about five minutes and I was like, holy shit, that's in a, like a slightly older Shirley Temple. That's fucking wild. That blew my mind. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> you never see her. Um, but yeah, Shirley Temple was is in it. She's the other daughter. Um, and then very quickly, they're I I am unclear if he's actually an uncle or they just call him that. But Joseph Cotton is their uncle, and he shows up um, to flirt with Claudette Colbert insanely throughout the film. Um, like, <laughs> and well, there's implications that they dated or or he flirted with her a lot, which I, I'd also like to see that film. Um, but yeah, they, they just sort of live through the war. Jennifer Jones falls in love with a boy at some point. Um, she becomes a nurse. Shirley Temple, she just like, she almost oddly becomes like a little mini war profiteer in her neighborhood. Like, it feels like she has a bunch of little jobs and she like it convinces her mom to take in a um, like a lodger just so that they can make a little extra money. Who's played by um, Monty Woolley. Um, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> like, I it, that's the closest thing that she is, though, is like a teeny tiny war profiteer, just a neighborhood one. Um, Hattie McDaniel from uh, Gone with the Wind is in this as as the maid. She disappears at the beginning and then comes back halfway through. Um, like, 
the cast is stacked. Agnes Moorhead even plays like a, a bitchy neighbor, which is the role she perfected. And, and she's great in this. Um, I love this a lot. Um, I have talked a couple times now on the pod about like anything that like refers to the great wars at this point, it just gets me right in, right in the feelings. Um, and I was really engrossed by this. It's like two and a half hours, but I, I loved pretty much every second of it. Um, like the melodrama worked for me. Um, there's a little bit of wish fulfillment at the end, but I, you know, I get it. It's 44. Like a lot of people have died at this point. Like, what am I going to argue? You know? Um, but yeah, it's just, I just found it so enjoyable to watch. Um, but I can see where, like, if you're not open to its particular, like, brand of, um, like, wholesome American mid middle of the war when, you know, attitude, it would be sort of taxing. Um, Matt, what did you think of it? Yeah, um, it was my first time watching it. Honestly, like, I don't think I even really had heard of it. it like, before we did this, it wasn't on my radar, especially since it's very hard to find. But, um... I um I really liked it. I, I definitely didn't love it as much as you did, Marissa, but um this sort of brand of melodrama does work on me quite a bit too. Um I found like the balance between like genuinely very funny arcs in it, like some great comedy, and like the more romantic stuff really well done. I miss movies like this. Like we we in, in like the nineties we stopped really getting things like this, but like now I think we see movies like this, um, like just sprawling um, family dramas as TV shows and miniseries now, which is fine. But like, yeah, it's just like this is us, basically. Yeah, mm. but like, this is us is terrible. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. But <laughs> I take. Um, I take. I'm sorry, Mandy Moore. I love you. But um, <laughs> come on the pod, Mandy. Um, come on the pod. <laughs> but um, we like. I miss just family dramas on the big screen. So it kind of worked for me a lot in that regard. I love all the performances. We'll talk about those as we get to the categories. Um, but it just, there is something about it that just like in the middle, I sort of just lost myself into it all. Like, um, and just stopped caring as much. The setup and the closing really, really worked for me, but I do think the length kind of hurts it. It's, there's a lot of movie going on here. And, um, I found some aspects of it to be a little too hokey for my sensibilities. Um, another film we're definitely going to have to talk about in later seasons of this podcast, um, Mrs. Minerva, is I think doing similar things much more effectively. And I just kept thinking of that movie while mm. watching this one and wishing I was watching watching Mrs. Minerva. So I do wonder how I would have um, felt had I watched this film first. But yeah, in general, though, it's good. I can understand. Yeah, like I didn't have a, a comparison to that necessarily. Have, have you seen that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. No, 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 no. Nope. Uh, I'm looking forward to us talking with that. It's it's going to be a good conversation. But um, this it's a good movie though, and I love the performances, and I certainly recommend it for people. Just it's a good drama that I feel like isn't remembered as often as like other like domestic dramas from this time period. Yeah, it's one of the better movies of this batch, certainly. So I, yeah. I am surprised that I it was A, so hard to find, and B, that I had never heard of it. Um, Josh, what about you? What was your experience since you went away? Um, I, I also had not seen it until we, we started preparing for this podcast. But um, I liked it a lot, too. But the melodrama did not quite work as well for me. I mm -hmm. felt that parts of the film 
seemed very patchwork, like lots of things kind of stitched together just because it, it jumped from that melodrama to uh, like propaganda at times, which was very hard for me, especially near the end where they just all of a sudden introduced this, this refugee woman. And it's like, this is a different film that I was watching earlier. Um, and I mean, it is 44. So I understand where that was coming from. Um, and yeah, so I, and I guess I wish that sort of like our conversation with going my way, that the, the story was more centralized. Um, mm-hmm. it is, it is episodic, not as episodic as going my way. Um, but I, I don't know, I kind of want to just spend more time with the, the Smollett family. Um, and the Colonel Smollett played by Monty Woolley, who was staying there at their house. Um, but that's mostly because I just loved his interactions with the dog. I think the dog deserves um, all of the awards. <laughs> Completely agree. <laughs> yeah, the dog is really turning in an incredible performance. Every when it gets when it switches to the bed, the other bed after the the one mattress disappears. Oh, I love that! I was thrilled every every minute that dog was on screen. I was so happy. Um, yeah, I totally see what you guys are both saying about um, the length of it. I, I mean, the, the reason I actually liked the length of length of this movie because it was like. Oh man, this is what it would have been like to just like sit through World World War II as like a woman, just like nothing to do, hoping hoping the person you love doesn't die, and like deciding like, um, oh yeah, my husband's gone. I literally have no income now, or have barely any income. I have two kids. What do I do? Should I work at a factory? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like all that shit fascinated me because it it definitely just feels like we don't have snapshots of that time. Mm-hmm. In, in the way that I would have thought. Like, I never thought about that until I watched this film. And I was like, you know, I, you know, you never really think about, like, what the hell was it like to just sit there and, like, wait and, and wonder and, like, I don't know. I, I really was into that. But I also like a lot of these actors. I mean, I've already expressed my thirst for Joseph Cotton. Um, I love Jennifer Jones. She is, she has, like, <laughs> what I always call the worst death in any movie in ever um, in a film from much, much later in her career. Um, and she's so interesting in this because she has like one of the more complex arcs of the whole thing where she's just like this flighty girl at the beginning. And then she becomes, she falls in love with a boy and, and she becomes a nurse and she, be, you're, she is like the, the source of a lot of propaganda at the end, but like, you know, it's understandable. I'm sure it was, it was easier to root for, um, America back then, you know? It was a great, she has a great arc, and it's like genuinely incredible character work of just how much they could actually sell it, sell that arc in like the course of three hours. Like, that's like a full TV season's worth of character work that they managed to actually pull off. At least, it's like almost two. Like, it feels like two two seasons of of a show, and she like fucking sells it. And like, I really am into the idea that like, she she has this bizarre, you know, definitely of its time thing where she's in love with her quote unquote uncle. Again, I don't know if they're actually related um, in this film. And like, it, it's I was like, I hate that, but you know, <laughs> sure. Um, Can you blame her? <laughs> I know. I, I don't. I don't blame her at all. I mean, you know, Hitchcock made a film about um, nieces falling in love, falling in love with their uncle Joseph Cotton uh, a couple of years later. It's the whole point of Shadow of a Doubt. So, I mean, you know, we all understand. Um, yeah, it just I don't know. It was wild to me. Um, I just really was into everything. It it, but I totally see where like it would be 
heinously boring to most people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, but speaking of propaganda, uh, oh, let's gosh. talk about the next film. Oh boy. Uh, Will, um, you know, I have to say just before we start, really shout out to Josh for choosing to do this year and having to watch this film. Um, and what well, all of these films, realistically, there's some wild films this year. Uh, I'd never thought we'd ever get anyone to watch anything, you know, beyond a year before 1975. So thanks for that, Josh. Um, <laughs> I, I, I might regret it after watching Wilson. <laughs> Please talk about your experience watching Wilson. <laughs> well, let, let me just um, start with the notes I wrote down for it. Um, first note, um, Wilson is old white men, the movie. Um <laughs> Let's see. It feels like someone took the Wikipedia page for a Woodrow Wilson and turned into a movie. Um, <laughs> this movie is so long and so boring, <laughs> and I hated every minute of it. <laughs> that is that's beautiful. I I almost don't want to talk about it because it was that not sums it up. Um, but Matt, I I know you felt pretty pretty not happy about it as well. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, I don't think not happy is the right word. I was, um, I watched it while on a business trip and I was very lonely on this business trip because I was the only one from my staff that went and I like watched it in a hotel room while eating like sad takeout and it was just like the worst possible setting to watch this movie. This two and a half hour, as Josh said, Wikipedia page of Wilson come to life. Um, it has its moments. I think, um... There are, you know, like, a few scenes here or there that kind of work. The performances are all decent. But, yeah, it is the sort of thing where it just um, kind of feels dull for long stretches. And um, I ended up having more fun actually looking up his real Wikipedia page and kind of reading about him because I truly did not know much. And then seeing how they really... um, soften some some of his stances that were pretty bad um for yeah. the movie so you know yeah. it's just but it's really interesting as like a cultural document of just like in all seriousness like i don't think we've ever gotten a president's like biopic like this like something so glowing and um clearly made out of admiration like i don't think we'll ever get that unless like it's 100 or so years after the president's gone i mean like the closest we have is Lincoln, and what I think works about Lincoln is that it's not really about him, and it's more about like the political process that went into place um, to end slavery. So, um, like this movie really does kind of stand out as like this bizarre anomaly, and I kind of enjoyed it on that level. But yeah, it's the sort of movie I cannot imagine anybody watching it and like getting enjoyment out of it. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so yeah, it, it is. I totally agree. I think it is the of the films that we of the that are nominated for best picture, and not necessarily the ones we're going to talk about. It is the ones. It is the film that is most of its time and feels completely of its time. In that, like, it was a fucking huge. People love this dumb movie. It was like it, it made so much money that people were like, "Oh, it's gonna like you know, it, it'll it'll be remembered forever." Like someone said it was the most, one of the producers or something said, this is the most important film that's ever been made in like the 50 years of, of film, which is like, can you imagine thinking this film <laughs> is the most important film? Um, and like it, it, like I said earlier, it was nominated for 10 categories and it won five of those. So like it was beloved at the time. And 
it just, it, it is not, you're right. We would never see something like this again. Um, and like, it's so glowing, particularly because it, it is technically a movie about like, um, the past that it's really about, cause it's about, I mean, it goes up through post-World War. Well, obviously it's just his time as president, um, and slightly before. Um, but it, the big sort of final act thing is this whole League of Nations, trying to get the League of Nations together, a thing that which was the, you know, the basis for the UN, but ultimately failed. And, and in part, you know, its failure partly led to World War Two. So like, of course, it would connect to people at the time as this like warning of like, we have to work together to prevent a, a third war. Like we absolutely can't allow this to happen again. Look, we how have we allowed this to happen twice? Um, so I could see why it would like connect with people then. Um, but it, it certainly, it, it, it like shows every sign of its age now. Um, that said, I quite liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked it, actually. Um, that, but that is because I probably watched it in ideal conditions. I watched it in a theater um, alone because I have access to this situation um, on a videotape um, from a library. Um, and yeah, I saw it on a big screen. So like... And I was ready to sit there for two and a half hours or whatever and, and sort of like be swept up in the melodrama of this insane uh, film. And like, there are things that work about it. Like, it, obviously, it's uh, not writing a real version of history um, at all. <laughs> like, if you look at it, it just doesn't, it fully just like rewrites history, basically. Um, even down to his like, personal life. So it's, it's problematic in today's standards but if you don't know anything else about like wilson woodrow wilson's stances or anything like that it it's convincing as a piece of propaganda and a like convincing as a piece of this is the way america works and should work basically um because it does feel epic i mean it covers so many years and and alexander knox who plays woodrow wilson is really good and then you know just when it starts to feel a little like all right are we doing the pop political stuff or like when does is he going to do something else? Um, uh, he gets a new wife. <laughs> you know, <like> his <laughs> wife dies, and he and he flirts with a new woman. So, like, it's also a romance, which uh, truly I didn't expect. You know, um, and like, I don't know. It just surprised me in the way it was like this uh, cultural document. It, 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 oddly enough, like, I just it, it worked for me alone in a theater without anybody, like, with no distractions, where I like. I maybe checked my phone once or twice, but tried not to just so I could pay attention to it. And like Geraldine Fitzgerald is the, the woman who comes in as, as his second wife. And like, she's really compelling. Uh, this is her, you know, third time on the pod basically. Um, and they have a weird chemistry that was like, I was like, Oh, was Woodrow Wilson like kind of a, kind of a like ladies man. What's going on here? So <laughs> <laughs> every like, one of I, their kisses was so like, passionate that i was like oh my god like what is this movie <laughs> that's why i mean i jo i jokingly said this on letterbox and I'm, I'm a piece of shit so i'm gonna repeat it here but like <laughs> like the thing about this movie that was most striking to me i was like does this like this movie basically posits that woodrow wilson fucked and i like i'm not gonna argue with this this like alternate history it's it's creating which i and like i'm sure it's not true um <laughs> but yeah just like it worked for me um even and like but only because i just was like fully engrossed in it in the perfect setting. I absolutely can't imagine what it was like to watch it on a television at home. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, I would have resented it and us. And, and if I were Josh, my choices. No, <laughs> I, it, I, I, it doesn't reflect on you too. 
Um, but I, I will say one other thing about it. Um, it. One positive is that I do think the set design for this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does look like they're in the White House for, for most of the movie. Um, on a negative side, though, both Wilson and Since You Went Away have these really brief moments of like racism that totally gave me whiplash and like, Oh yeah, this is 1944, huh? Um, yeah. Like in this one, well, and, and since you went away, it's, you know, it's world war two. And like, there's one police officer that randomly pulls, um, pulls them over and like, just makes this terrible Japanese joke. Oh, um, that, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, and then in Wilson, we go from one scene where, um, the family is looking in a room where Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and talking about how it was so important. And then we go right almost immediately after that to a scene where there's a actor in blackface. It's like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you texted me when that when that happened. Yeah, I was just like, oh my god. And then the since you went away scene, I was also watching it while on this business trip, um, but in a better mood because I had better food. And um, that joke, the the racist joke came out, and I like went like, "Oh my god!" with like a food in my mouth, just like fully <laughs> shocked by just the whiplash of it, as you said, Josh. And like, yeah, you have to sometimes um, just like be prepared for some whiplash with these forties movies. There was also a line in Double Indemnity that I can't remember now, but I was watching it with like a couple of people, and there was some. It was like a like um some sort of terminology, I forgot what it was, that we're like, that we just know not to use anymore. That someone says very casually, and everyone in the group is just like, whoa! <laughs> At the same time, it just, it, it's what happens with these movies. Yeah. Yeah, and really any, at this point, anything before, I don't know, 10 years ago, is, well, not even, I, that's that's already too far back. Like, <laughs> you just gotta watch out with this fucking podcast. We're gonna run into one minefield after another. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Um, yeah, especially. I mean, honestly, it's almost surprising that there was only one joke about the Japanese in in mm-hmm. these batch of films, like because yeah. it was it was in cartoons at the time. You know what I mean? Like if you watched a WB cartoon from um, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon from a time, there was frequently, like notoriously, like bad depictions of Japanese people during World War II. So it's like it honestly is a little shocking that there wasn't more of it, but. You know, I don't know. I, like, that's so much credit for such a small thing. We can't fix America. <laughs> no, no, clearly. Despite what Wilson tells us, we can't just fix things, okay? Yeah. Um, all right, so those are the big um, awards. Um, I I would actually... Oh, this is a tough one to choose best picture. Um, I, for me, it's between Gaslight and Since You Went Away. Um Jesus, that's hard though. I didn't know I probably would go with Since He Went Away despite that horrific joke. Um, just because it was a more pleasant watch than the white knuckling of Gaslight and being like, oh my God, nothing's changed. Um, hysteria. So, um, uh, Josh, what would you choose? Uh, Gaslight is also up for me. I would say between Gaslight and Double Indemnity, um, which I know I was hotter on than both of you, mm-hmm. uh, I might go for Gaslight. Just because Ingrid Berman is amazing in that. Yeah, totally respectable. Um, how about you, Matt? It's easy for me. I would go with Gaslight. I was so floored by it. But, you know, it's a good year. Even, like, as far as, like, the movies go, I mean, honestly, like, Wilson's the only one that I truly am kind of, like, cold on. Even going my way, I get. Even yeah. if I think it's, like, aged horribly. So, you know, 
Good lineup yeah. all around. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really interesting snapshot of the whole year. Is all of the categories are. It's like what a crazy snapshot of America, and you know, in the middle of the war or right at the end of the war, realistically. Um, so yeah, let's go to the next uh, the big categories. Um, let's start with director Leo McCary, who did uh, Going My Way one. This was his second win after uh, 1937's The Awful Truth. Uh, also nominated for Hitchcock for Lifeboat, uh, Billy Wilder for Double Indemnity, Henry King for Wilson, Otto Preminger for Laura, which is a um, film we haven't talked about yet, but will come up quite a bit uh, in these these categories. Well, in many of the categories, actually. it was It's another um, film noir um, starring uh, Gene Tierney, um, who is like probably one of my favorite femme fatales, not just in that movie, but anytime she played a femme fatale. Um What's your choice, Matt, for a director? Um, this is a tough one, definitely. It's a really good lineup. I love Laura, just as a side mm-hmm. note. Um, we'll talk about it some more later. Um, of these five, I get, I, I would go with Billy Wilder. I feel like as we go through these, these Oscar podcasts, um, I'm going to give a lot of best director wins to Billy Wilder. He's a legend for a reason. And while yeah. I don't love, all of the Indemnity, those first two acts are so well-directed, and he's really great at just, like, how to tell a story. And um, There are some incredible moments in those first two acts, so I'll go with Billy Wilder. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about you, Josh? I would also go with Billy Wilder. I haven't seen um, Lar or Lifeboat, um, but I think there's just... I think there's a lot of solid performances in Double Indemnity, and I, I definitely think Wilder is a is a big part of that. So I, I think I'd throw it his way. I, I I probably would choose Laura just because of the two um, two noirs I like it best. Um, I was going to rewatch it again for this podcast, but realized that uh, some my DVD disappeared somewhere, which is honestly fitting with that film. Um, yeah, I would give it to Preminger. I love Preminger a lot. Lifeboat um, is actually pretty stodgy, uh, just to talk about it really quickly. Uh, it's This is, you know, one of the first, or one of the many that Hitchcock was nominated for, but this one is actually, like, not one of my favorite films. It's It all takes place on a lifeboat um, after a ship goes down, and it's just, like, the dynamics of the group that's left. Um, the only thing that works for me in it is the bizarrely kinky relationship between the younger the the woman on the boat and um this like kind of rough and tumble guy who has a tattoo um and like spends a lot of the movie shirtless um they hate each other but then they like have this weird something shifts and like that's the most interesting thing about it but unfortunately they're not alone on the boat um yeah you did you watch the lifeboat for the pod uh, Matt? I did, yeah. I watched it right, like, literally right after Double Indemnity. And, um, because I wanted to see as many of these as I could because I just, I, I'm short on films from 1944. But, you know, I actually agree. It, like, did nothing for me and I was super disappointed. I think, um, what works for me best with Hitchcock is when he does kinky movies. And just like you said, outside of that one relationship, there's, like, nothing interesting going on. It feels so, like, boring for him and i i was disappointed i was like i had really high hopes going into it yeah i believe it's uh, adapted from a play so that's probably why like he probably just brought things out of it that weren't really or maybe were explicit but that's probably what attracted him to it um let's go with actor next uh the winner was ben crosby for going my way um alexander knox for wilson Barry Fitzgerald for Going My Way, um, who is the uh, the other priest. And he's you'll see him again in a minute. He was nominated for actor and supporting actor. Um, 
and they changed the rules after this that happened because they were like, oh fuck, we can't have a guy nominated for two. You can't be a lead and a supporting actor. Um, but the other person, the other people were Cary Grant in None But the Lonely Heart and Charles Boyer for Gaslight. Um, Matt, what did you? What do you? Who would you choose? Um, and also maybe talk a little bit about None But the Lonely Heart, which you literally just finished watching. Yeah, I I literally just watched it and did ten minutes before we recorded. Um, None But the Lonely Heart is terrible. It's uh, <laughs> terrible. A strong word. I was I was very upset while watching it. It is it is not not great. It is a uh, a movie about an allegedly British man by oh. Harry Grant, who. Um, it is one of the worst accents I've ever heard. I'll talk about it in a minute. Um, who returns to his hometown and um, his mom, played by Ethel Barrymore, who we'll talk about in a minute as well, um, she runs a shop and she's dying and she wants him to take over the shop. She doesn't want to. He wants to live a life as like a, a loose cannon, just wanderer. And um, he gets involved in like a relationship with this the ex-wife of a gangster um, who again is allegedly British, but is clearly Italian. And um, like it, they just kind of, um, he tries that he tries that Cary Grant tries to find his way in life and everything and figure out what he wants to do with his path, which, so- which sounds really interesting, but it takes about a full hour for the story to actually kick into high gear. And everything that comes before it is so boring. And I love Cary Grant as an actor, he, but mm-hmm. he's, really bad in this movie it is an embarrassing accent there's one point where he goes like me mum is sick and i like laughed because it was just like it was like what is he doing with this voice like he it's like he just puts random emphasis on different vowels and it's like trying to be british and it's really really rough um and no one else around him is doing well either it's it's really rough but um he's particularly bad he even according to imdb's trivia section which take with the grain of salt, but like apparently he's even said he thinks he's bad in this movie. So you know, I wouldn't give him the Oscar. I would give the Oscar, honestly, to Charles Boyer. I don't love the performance. It's like not the strongest out of Gaslight, but I think out of his competition, he's the best. Yeah, I mean that's totally that's you. You are allowed to do it. Um, <laughs> that's so fascinating. I mean, it makes sense. Like Cary Grant's accent is already weird. He, I mean, he is British, but it never sounded quite British. It's not. It's like it's posh, but it's not anything that we're normally used to. So like he tried him doing to try to do a, trying to do a, a Cockney accent. I'm sure was a disaster. Cause he's like, he's inherently fancy. That's the whole thing. Um, <laughs> uh, how about you, Josh? I think I'd also give it to, to Charles Boyer. I, I, I think he, he plays a fun villain and I mean, fun in the loosest sense of the word. He's, he's a terrible human being. Um, but it, it's a, it's such a, a dark um, performance. Although, as much as I hate Wilson, part of me does want to throw some love to Alexander Knox, just because he does sell that. Like, there are times when I was like, and yet, this is a film starring Woodrow Wilson um, as Woodrow Wilson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, maybe that's just because I fell asleep in history class. But, um I, I think he gives uh, a great performance. So I, I'm leaning towards Boyer, but Knox, um, I think, could have also uh, been a well-deserved recipient. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Knox because, again, I, like I said, he can he convincingly plays Woodrow Wilson as a as someone who could fuck. So that is uh, really an achievement in my mind. So I'm giving it to, to Alexander Knox. Um, 
let's do supporting actor next. Um, Bear Fitzgerald from Going My Way won um, for that. Uh, it's interesting bit of trivia. Right <laughs> a month before the nominations were announced, he was um, cleared for uh, manslaughter. Um, he killed an old woman with his car. Um, and then, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> it's in, that blew my mind. I was like, can you, and like the, in the, um, inside Oscar, they were like pretty nice month for him. And I was like, not for the old woman. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's so horrible. <laughs> but yeah. He like literally beat a manslaughter rap like a month beforehand. And it was like, Hey, you got nominated for two Oscars, like for the same role. Good for you, man. Um, he sold this old devil. Um, but anyway, uh, the other nominees are Claude Rains and Mr. Skeffington as the titular Mr. Skeffington. Um, Cl- Clifton Webb and Laura. Um, Hume Cronin in The Seventh Cross. And Monty Woolley in Since You Went Away. Um, Josh, what are you? who would you choose? I've only seen uh, two of the movies from this category. Um, but of the two, I would give it to Monty Woolley. I just think he... He has such a, a charming arc in Since He Went Away, going from this very buttoned, begrudging old man to um, just really warming up to the family. I think his, his final scenes um, are really touching. But most of that might just be coming because I love the dog. So take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fine. You can do a joint. Uh, you know, it's hard to act with a dog. I'm sure that dog was insane you know like this is the 40s that that dog was probably on coding or something so you know <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they're drugging poor fucking judy garland they're probably drugging that dog um <laughs> jean duhardin only has master because of a dog so you know we definitely <laughs> we like dogs with oscars um matt what about you um so i haven't seen the seventh cross or mr Skevington, mr skeffington um, but I like the other, th- other three nominees, even like, you know, I don't love the movie as we discussed, but Barry Fitzgerald's really good in, um, going my way. I think he gives a better performance of the two priests. And actually I low key think he like deserves the supporting actor over like, like in terms of category placement, like he, um, is like the better fit for supporting actor versus his co-star. But, um, I would go with Clifton Webb by like a slight edge. I think he's really wonderful in Laura, and that performance has stuck with me, even though I've forgotten a lot of the plot details of the movie because it's been a few years. So I'm gonna go with him. Yeah, the plot description on um, on uh, IMDb almost seems like it's spelled wrong. It's a police detective falls in love with the woman whose murder he is investigating. So, um, but that is actually the plot. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of painting, staring, basically. Um, paintings are a big thing in this year, actually. Um, which is, I say that because I watched, um, Mr. Skeffington. Um, I, I, I used two and a half hours of my very short life to watch Mr. Skeffington last night. And it is, I am not kidding, the craziest film I've ever seen. It is, I think it's a, I think it's a drama. I can't say for sure. Um, (laughs) the tone is truly, um, the Sontagian definition of camp in which it is completely serious about what it is doing, but it is truly nuts. Betty Davis plays a woman named Fanny who we basically follow her year over like a 20 ish year arc. Um, she's a young woman when we meet, when we meet her, it's like right before, like minutes before basically 
um, World War One starts, and she's a, a notorious flirt. The opening scene is a series of like four men coming to her house and being like, "What time is she going to be ready for dinner?" And then they like look at each other. It's like, "Oh, you again!" Like, you know, like they're used to this. These men are just like used to taking her out for dinner. And then she comes down the stairs, and it's like, "Oh, Betty Davis," and she's got this really weird affect to her voice where it's like a slight it's almost like an octave higher it's very girlish and when it starts it doesn't make sense why she well it makes sense why she's doing it she's but it's it's still weird but the longer the movie goes on like 20 years in she's still doing that girlish voice so it's like embarrassing um (laughs) and it's like it's the whole movie is about her trying to stay young even though that's it's called mr skeffington he's actually barely in it um so, like, he's one of the suitors that comes to meet her um, at one point. I mean, originally he comes to say, like, hey, your brother um, embezzled $25,000 from my company. Can you give that back? And they're like, LOL, we're broke. And she's like, mm, meal ticket. So she flirts <laughs> with Claude, Claude Rain. Um, this is, like, the first 20 minutes, by the way. Like, <laughs> she flirts with Claude Rains, and eventually they get married, and um, things she just keeps flirting with other men. Like, and he, Mr. Skeffington like repeatedly says to her, like, I know you're not in love with me, but like, I can wait. And he waits quite a while. He goes off to war. The brother dies. She blames him for the brother dying. She won't touch him. Basically. They just like, and then he starts cheating with some secretaries. Um, and she uses that as an excuse to get a divorce. And she keeps carrying on this like flirtatious life where she's just, you know, flirting with, men the same all in their 20s and she just keeps getting older and older and at one point they have a kid and she's like can you take the kid to europe i cannot have a child because it makes me look old so she like literally is like manipulates her child and her husband into like moving to europe so she can become just keep being a flirt um but then she gets diphtheria and it ruins her face and she's ugly now oh wow what (laughs) so and then the last act of the film is about her realizing she is no longer worth anything as a woman because she's not pretty. So the the men come back, you know, no, no, the men, the young men stop visiting her because she now she actually looks her age and even older. Um, and they know she like keep she can't say her age. She just cannot stand to say it. Um, and like uh, she throws a big party where she she basically like out of out of makeup she looks like um, the wig snatched version of Margot Robbie from Mary Queen of Scots. Oh my so, gosh. So, <laughs> yeah. So then she, like, just puts a bunch of face paint on and goes down to this and, like, has a party where she, like, because her psychologist, some psychologist, she was like, listen, you got to just come to the terms with the fact that you're a fucking hag now. And you're, like, you are not loved. And the only person who's ever going to love you is your husband. Go back to your husband. Her husband, by the way, is a Jew who is living in Berlin at this point, And it's World War II. Um, poor Claude Rain. Um, that's why her daughter comes back at one point and is like, Hey, dad was worried about the Nazis. I came back and, and, you know, Fanny's first concern is like, but now I look even older. Um, so yeah, she has this party and then all the men are like, literally make a face every time they see her. They're like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> horrible. And then at the end, I'm going to spoil this whole movie because it's so fucking wild. Um, <laughs> at the end of it, <laughs> her uncle or no, her cousin is like, this is 1944 let's not forget her her cousin comes to her and is like yo i saw mr skeffington in the park the other day like did you know he's back and she's like no of course i didn't like i don't think our daughter even knows that like he he should tell her and uh the guy's like oh well he's in a bad way he was in concentration camp and i was like oh 
What? Like what? So he and you're like, which is, I mean, listen, we know history. There's no way a, a Jewish guy living in Berlin somehow got out of a concentration camp in 1944. I, it's insane. And I was like, oh god, this is taking a horrible turn. So they meet up, and she doesn't want to meet up with him at first because she's like, he'll think I'm ugly. I I can't I can't let him of all people see me and just like, you know, have me changed in his mind because one of the the first time she realizes that he's in love with her is that he he pays for a painted portrait of her anonymously and then she sees it in his living room which is not creepy at all um and he he's in the (laughs) she opens the door and she looks like you know a monster basically and uh he's standing with a cane and then he trips and it turns out he's blind so so it's like that's posited as a happy ending. Like the cousin literally says it to someone else. I'm like, it's perfect. He'll never see her as anything but young and beautiful. This is great. Like they can be in love now. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the most heinously misogynistic movie I've ever seen. Um, and it's two and a half hours. So, and it really goes on a journey, but, um, yeah, don't watch it, but also do. (laughs) I, I'm actually surprised. It's not like in the drag queen repertoire. Let's say that. Um, it's so fucking weird. That's um, wild. Oh my god, yeah. what a what a plot. <laughs> I thought the whole time I was like, this is an SNL skit, like over two and a half hours. Like if they took an SNL skit and made it two and a half if they took the Lulu Diamond sketch and made it two and a half hours, that's what this is. Like Which they should. <laughs> but yeah, um all that to say, I wouldn't I still wouldn't give it to Claude Rains, even though he does a nice work. I'd probably I'd probably give it to Barry Fitzgerald. Um but I, I, I don't, I do regret my time watching Mr. Skeffington, but I also am glad that I could know that that fucking thing existed. Um, yeah, Barry Fitzgerald wins it. There you go. Um, he deserved it, even though he killed that lady. Um, <laughs> let's move on to actress. Uh, the winner is Ingrid Bergman for Gaslight. The other nominees were Barbara Stanwyck for Double Indemnity. Uh, Betty Davis for Mr. Skeffington, um, Claudette Colbert for Since You Went Away, Greer Garson for Mrs. Parkington, um, which I don't think any of us have watched because I, I couldn't recover after Mr. Skeffington. Um, I would still go with Bergman, even though I like a lot of this, even though I made fun of Skeffington just now, Betty Davis is very good. Her choice to have that girlish affect through the whole thing is so smart. Like, because at first it seems insane, and then as it goes on, you're like, oh, yeah, this is really underlining the thing. Um, and I also love Claudia Colbert. The way she flirts with, um, you know, Joseph Cotton is really bizarrely both devoid of sex appeal and also really hot. So it's it's fascinating. Um, but, yeah, I think there's no way I wouldn't give it to Ingrid Bergman. She's incredible in that film. Um, Matt, how about you? I'd also go with Ingrid Bergman. She's amazing. But like you said, um Claudette Colbert and um, Barbara Steinwick are amazing. And, like, what it, like, it truly is, I haven't seen the other two, but, like, any of those three would be worthy Best Actress winners in any other year. I just, like, Bergman's on a slightly different level for me. Like, slight, like slightly different level. Really just, like, what a good year. Uh, are we going to be three for three on this one, Josh? We are going to be three for three. I think this is definitely, the, like, the most contentious of the the acting categories, um, just any of them could have won. You're, you're both totally right. Um, but there is just something special about Bergman's performance that just pushes her over the edge. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, even though I, I wasn't 
um, as big a fan of since you went away um, as you both were. I, I think uh, Claudette Colbert um, is fantastic in it. I just think sometimes the directing leads her astray a bit, but um, no, all fantastic performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's a, it's a good series of actresses. What can you say? Um, let's do supporting actress Ethel Barrymore for None But the Lonely Heart. Um, she plays the mother, right? Um, yes, she does. Agnes Moorhead um, in Mrs. Parkington, uh, Aileen McMahon for Dragon Seed, Angela Lansbury for Gaslight, um, and Jennifer Jones for Since, Since You Went Away. Uh, Josh, who would you choose? Ooh, that's a hard one. I've only seen Since You Went Away and Gaslight, but I think Jennifer Jones and Angela Lansbury are both so good in both of them. Uh, that's a hard one. Um, I might give it to Jennifer Jones. Um, it just because she really sells the arc, um, of going from this, this piney teenager to, she really seems like a completely different character by the end. And it feels, um, totally earned just because of the performance. I think with a lesser actress, it would have seemed, um, out of place, but she really sells it. So I'd give it to her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I would absolutely give it to Jennifer Jones. I think it's like such a comp, like it's just the media's performance of, of the group that I've seen at least. Um, so yeah, she's, and she's just so good in it. She, she really does take that character on an incredible arc. Matt, what about you? Um, so it's funny going into this episode, I was like fully ready to just vote for Angela Lansbury, but you guys are kind of convincing me about Jennifer Jones and I'm really stuck in the middle here. Um, I love Angela Lansbury and what she's doing here. I, um, like you mentioned with, um, Betty Davis and Mr. Skevington, um, like it's kind of, like she's kind of giving a drag performance in this one like i wish like i wish there were more drag queens competing on drag race lately who are like cinephiles so we can get like these characters from 1940 the 1940s and 50s as um as snatch game characters but um <laughs> like please i want an angela Lansbury in gaslight um, um snatch game character but jennifer jones like it's such a great arc as we talked about and she's really good in it um uh, I, I, I've been swayed. I'm going to go with Jennifer Jones. We'll be three for three. Um, she's really, really great. It's a, it's a tough call for me. And, um, I will say since I'm the only one that saw it here, um, Ethel Barrymore is fine in None But The Lonely Heart. <laughs> she's the, it's the best performance in a very bad cast. <laughs> Matt Taylor of Pop Break says fine. Um, <laughs> she's yeah. related to Drew Barrymore. So it's like, you get a pass. It's fine. Any Barrymore really gets a pass. Um, yeah, again, like so many of these categories are just such products of the time of like, what the what the fuck were they smoking back then? This is so stupid. Like, there are so many obvious winners. This is like actress is one of the few that few they actually got right. You know. Um, um, speaking of products of its time, none of us saw it, but Aline McMahon was nominated for a performance in Yellow in Yellowface. So um, oh gosh. So you know, it's definitely. It this this is a product of its time category, but you know, good for Jennifer Jones, a non problematic performance. Yeah, right. One of the God, maybe maybe the only one. Who knows? Um, so we're gonna spotlight a different category. Um, we're gonna do best screenplay this time, which is um also a product of its time because going my way, like which I mentioned earlier, one which is not really the most written of the films here, <laughs> especially, especially when you look at the fucking category. It's going my way, double indemnity, which has a very complex plot and like 
like you like we've talked about great dialogue gaslight which is based on a great play and is a great movie like you know it was almost our all three of our um best picture choices laura a a really good film which i should i can expand on the plot i guess a little bit more it looks he he the detective thinks she's been murdered and everybody thinks she's been murdered but then she comes back from a trip and it turns out she hasn't been murdered it was like her friend whose face got shot off that's how they can make that mistake um and then it becomes a like well we have to figure out who the murderer is so they don't end up killing the real laura um anyway but yeah, like, and then the final final one is Meet Me in St. Louis, which I don't know if I mentioned. But like, all of those are pretty like complex plots, and except for Going My Way, which which won because it was like the most beloved film of the year. But in retrospect, it's like, what the, what the fuck kind of voting is this? <laughs> um, thoughts on the screenplay category, Josh? It really is baffling how Going My Way won for best screenplay. Uh, I don't know if it's just because it's the happiest of them and this being 44, they're like, we need a, a feel good movie to, to bring us home. But uh, I don't know. It, I, I think the film is fine, but I don't see how it would have won this category. Um, I would have given it double indemnity just because like we said, the dialogue is so snappy and it does a good job conveying a, somewhat convoluted uh murder plot and it it sells it in a way that's um digestible but never boring um so yeah i'd give a double indemnity yeah yeah i i I won't i won't even choose i would just say anything but going my way should have won um (laughs) matt what about you um, I'm not as surprised that it won because we're living in the world where green book won best screenplay and um like i don't know it's uh, um it's it's kind of funny, but I can see what the appeal is of, of going my way. It really is just like this um, weird um, time capsule of a movie that I'm sure meant a lot to people at the time. But yeah, like we've talked about, the dialogue and double, double indemnity is so wonderful. And the plot of lore is just so cool. And it's just like a unique weird little film that um we were taught i mentioned at the beginning of this episode that like i went through this whole noir phase in like high school and laura was one of the ones that like really just made an impression on me at that age um and i'm just like i want i think i might go rewatch it like within the next week because i i'm just like dying to see it again based on this conversation um you know and i haven't i haven't i have not seen meet me in st louis the film but like an iconic musical with like just like a really like I haven't even seen it, but I do know the story and everything. So it just it is sort of funny that this movie won going my way won best best screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, anything else you guys want to add before I move on to our final segment? Or go go ahead if you if you do want to say something. I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. Um. So our final segment is for your consideration. Um. I think I'm gonna let uh. Let's, Matt, why don't you start, and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. I'll be fast, because I have not seen that many films from this year, which is unfortunate. I was trying to watch some more before I recorded, but life got in the way. Um, I will say, it's not a great film by any means, but The um, the Uninvited was a 1944 oh. film, which is a really fun little ghost story that Criterion released. Um, that is a really, just like a fun movie, like a fun diversion of a movie that I... 
um, find quite entertaining. So watch that one, people. <laughs> and watch Laura, <laughs> even though it was an Oscar nominee. It's not a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, probably. I, I definitely think it should have been nominated for Best Picture. You know, out of like I liked Wilson, but I would freely give it away for for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird that it didn't get there, but you know, at least it got a Best Director nomination. Yeah, that's true. Um, how about you, Josh? Outside of the ones we watch for this uh, for the Best Picture, I am very um, out of my depth when it comes to Forty Four. But I will say that if you look at the the films or the the short subject cartoons nominated, there's some really fun ones um, with a Tom and Jerry one that um, one for that category, and one that's that's very near and dear to me the the How to Play Football starring Goofy from uh, from Walt Disney. It's just so silly, but I I love those little shorts and I find them so um, charming. So. I know if you if you have some time and you're able to, I'd say totally um, check out some of those those cartoons. I always want to do one of the cartoon categories for this this set or the the previous section, but it's sometimes they're just hard to find. So I'm I'm always worried that we're gonna like not be able to find them. You know, I actually um, have seen How to Play Football, and that is yeah, a fun ditto. One. Yeah, <laughs> it's a like good that. one. Um, but yeah, uh, I actually have quite a few. Well, not a quite a few. I just have two major ones that I I really believe in. Um. I, I would nominate, like, me, Meet Me in St. Louis should have been nominated in, like, it should be in the Best Picture category. It's better than Wilson. It's better than Going My Way. I, I've traded for a lot of things in that, that category, honestly. Um, it's like, you know, like you said, Matt, you, you, haven't, you don't have to see it to know something from it. You, everybody's heard Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Boom. You know Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, it's actually insane that that, like, that song in particular was not the winner of that year. Like anything, the, the idea of anything from going my way, beating have yourself a little merry little Christmas is just ridiculous. Um, also, everybody knows the trolley song, which, you know, great song. Um, even the, the title song, you know, there are probably people who know it. Um, mostly people who did like theater in high school, but you know, um, that's how I know them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, it's, a very vital movie in the American songbook, realistically. So, and it's a great film. Um, Margaret O'Brien won the juvenile award in it. And I hate, uh, I hate kid actors for the most part. And the first time I saw that movie years ago for that um, musical project, I always talk about, um, I hated her and I didn't like this movie, but it was like the 28th musical I'd watched. So it was, you know, in like a two week period, I was kind of sick of it. Um, but I like this movie a lot now. I watch it all the time. Um, it's a good Christmas movie, even though it takes place all over. Um, it's about a single family living in St. Louis around the, um, the, uh, world fair that takes there, takes place there. Um, and it's just got a lot of great songs and it's colorful and beautiful. And, um, it's just lovely. And actually, you know, interestingly enough, um, You've seen Halloween, right, Matt? Halloween? Yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you, Josh? You've seen that? I have not. Well, you don't have to, but you should. Um, but the color scheme in that is actually inspired by the Halloween scene in this. He, <laughs> he like, or at least it, it had to be. Like, there's a pump, like, the first thing you see is a pumpkin. It's phenomenal. Like, you should watch it just for that, honestly. Um, Cause it's bizarrely like it takes place around a lot of holidays 
And that's just one of the ones that we see. And it like, it's a genuinely scary section. And it's like, the colors are all blown up. And it honestly looks like Halloween. Like, and it takes, they filmed it outside on the lot. So it like, it looks like that film. There's no way that didn't like help inspire it. Um, and uh, the other one I watched for the, the, the uh, pod, because for some reason I thought it was nominated for stuff, but then I realized it was not nominated for anything. Um, but I'd always wanted to watch it because, you know, I just wanted to watch it. Is uh, National Velvet. You guys know what National Velvet is? I don't, actually. Okay. No idea. It is an Elizabeth Taylor movie. She's a little girl in it. She's um, 19, I believe. No, she's not that old. She's she's still a girl. So she hasn't yet become the most beautiful woman who's ever lived. <laughs> but you can tell that any second she's going to become the most beautiful woman who has ever lived. Um, and uh, I re- I wanted to watch it because I'd heard of, like it's one of her early films, um, but also because it has a connection to one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Black Stallion. Mickey Rooney plays a... Um, a horse trainer in that and he's an older he's it's from the 70s so he's a much older man but he plays a horse trainer in this too um and national velvet is um there are so many things that that title could mean but in fact velvet brown is the name of elizabeth taylor's character which is so stupid her name is first name is velvet um i'm gonna do something similar to what josh did earlier and just read a list of facts about this movie because it makes it's insane um Liz Taylor's 12 in it and she's basically the same height as Rooney who uh, who's 24 in it <laughs> so um her name is Velvet Brown um Angela Lansbury plays her slutty older sister which is really crazy like to see like I didn't know she was in it and all of a sudden I was like holy shit Angela Lansbury like what a year for her to just play the maid and the slutty older sister um <laughs> she uh there, the plot is basically that like um, Velvet wants to become a horsewoman essentially because she sees a horse in a in a in a pat, like some field or whatever and decides like I have to own that horse and I won't do anything to own that horse. So she buys the horse. Um, it's called the Pie. It's because it's a pie bulb. It's got the dots, you know, it's got the patchwork sort of coat. Um, and her mother encourages her to do it because there is reference to her mother swimming the English channel as a young woman. Um, and she's like, you have to have a young woman should have some adventure, you know? Um, and the father's completely against it because he's a total misogynist. Um, and there is a, an implication of romance eventually between 12 year old Elizabeth Taylor and 24 year old, uh, Mickey Rooney and they yes. they sort of play around yeah like like when she grows up and he, and and is of age that they'll they'll get together um and it uh it kept like hinting at it and I was like no I'm just reading into it and then the ending I was like oh no they're definitely implying it um but the whole thing of it is that she Velvet Brown gets the horse and then she goes into like a national jockey race essentially and she dresses as a, she cuts her hair to look like a man a male jockey and and rides in the race and it's uh it's weird but it actually is not terrible the only weird thing about it is the um sort of almost religious fanaticism of the horse riding that that velvet feels to war horse riding it's very bizarre i don't know it's a very strange movie i just it just is to me like there have been a lot of strange movies in 1944 we've just i've talked about two of them um 
it just feels like, I don't know, 1944 was a very weird time in film. Like, this is just a completely bizarre time, like, set of films. We've, we've seen some weird films in, in the past episodes for, so far, but this for me is, like, the strangest set of movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> life was weird I, back then. <laughs> yeah, life was so weird. It was, like, war and, and fucking Elizabeth Taylor as a jockey. I don't know. Completely bizarre. Um, but that basically covers, uh, this, this year in film. Um, it's a weird one. Uh, but you know, watch some of these. Don't watch Mr. Skeffington. Although, I don't know, you're a drag queen, you should. Like that, she, Betty Davis's character would be great, Snatch Game. Any um, drag queens listening, watch that movie, and then also come on our pod. Exactly. <laughs> um, Matt, what do you got coming up, and why don't you plug your socials? Um, this episode is going out in early june if i if i'm doing my, doing my scheduling correctly so um i don't know what that means actually in terms of what i'll be publishing because there's so much tv <laughs> but um at the very least you will see my review of what slash if renee zellwinger's comeback where i i haven't watched it yet but i'm assuming i'll want her to like slit my throat afterwards so i'm like fully invested in this show already um and for the straights listening wanting an actress to slit your throat is a good thing. Um, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in the meantime, you can find me on social media, at t- on Twitter at Matt.Matthew1 and on Letterboxd at Matt2. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so I'm still recovering from the <laughs> that exchange. Um, Josh, how about you? Who, what actress would you like to slit your throat? <laughs> oh, it's such a good question. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, you'll have to get back to me on that one. Okay. <laughs> Next time we have you on the pod, and we're gonna, I'm gonna make you answer that question. Um, <laughs> do you have anything written coming up, or or um, anything you want to plug in general? I, in June, you're gonna have a, you and your brother are gonna do um, Batman 1989 anniversary podcast that would come out not too long after this. Yeah, we are. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And actually, um, look behind the scenes. I just recorded another podcast last night for Game of Thrones. So. I'm on a back-to-back podcasting night, so I'm going to sleep well after this. Wow. <laughs> Doing the hard work that none of us want to do. Um, I will probably have a Toni Morrison documentary review sometime in June, depending on when this goes out. It'll be like two weeks after. Um, and I'm sure I'll have to be republishing some Tribeca stuff and, and little – Actually, there's I, I know there's a bunch of screeners in my inbox for June 7th, so <laughs> I will have a lot coming up um because i i'm trapped in this cycle um <laughs> but you can find me at maris carpico everywhere um and our next episode is going to be 1994 um we're going to jump ahead because you know we've been in the past for a while we want you guys to keep act- actually listening 1994 is a big year force gump pulp fiction tons of shit uh, we're going to have our uh, what i was <laughs> born that's the year i was born 94 baby i am I would like an actress to slip my throat right now because that's very upsetting. <laughs> I feel very attacked. Um, wow. Just, just what a way to end it. Um, we're going to have, have Bill Bodkin, our beloved uh, editor in chief on that episode. So look out for that. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone.